Chapter 15 of A Knight of the White Cross by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 A Splendid Exploit. Gervase was up again at dawn. He was amused at the wonder of the knights as they came up one by one at the sight of the little fleet anchored outside them. As soon as it was fairly daylight, he sent off to the three prizes to request all the knights to come on board the galley. When all were assembled there, he said, You are all aware, comrades, that Sir Fabricius Caretto has brought news that the galleys at Genoa are all laid up, and that it will be a fortnight before they can be put to sea. Long before that, the corsairs will assuredly be ravaging all the villages and small towns along the coast of italy unless we can prevent their doing so it would be simple madness to try to attack them at sea of that i feel sure you are all conscious it would be only throwing away our lives and our galley there was a murmur of assent among the knights they were ready for any encounter in which there was a chance however faint of success but all saw that for a single galley to attack one of the largest corsair fleets that had ever set out would be nothing short of insanity their leader's words however seemed to show that he had some plan in his mind by which he hoped to strike a blow at the enemy and all listened eagerly for what was coming we have heard from our comrade fosco that their ships lie moored in two lines side by side in a narrow inlet he has returned this morning with the news that they are still there. He thinks that three or four more have arrived during the last two days, and it is probable that they are waiting for the three we captured to join them. Tonight it is my intention to attack them, but not by rowing in and boarding them, for that would be hopeless. Yesterday Sir Ralph Harcourt went, as you are aware, to fetch provisions, but this was a part only of the object of his trip. He has, as you see, brought back eleven craft with him. These, I may tell you, are laden with combustibles, pitch, oil, straw, and faggots. They will be rowed and towed to the inlet tonight, set on fire, and launched against the pirates. An enthusiastic cheer broke from the knights. They saw at once that, lying as the corsairs were, side by side, the destruction of many of them was certain. He has also brought fishermen, Gervais went on, two or three of whom will go in each fire-ship, having a boat towing behind in which they will escape as soon as the craft are alongside the galleys. The galley and the three prizes will take their post at the mouth of the inlet. The fire of our guns will add to the confusion among the pirates, and we shall endeavor to fall upon any galleys that may extricate themselves from the mass and try to make their escape. Sir Ralph has brought back materials for making ninety mantles of the order, for the Christians on board the three prizes, and thirty fishermen to bring the crew of our galley up to its full strength. The light of the flames will suffice to show the pirates that, as they will believe, four vessels manned by knights of the order are barring the entrance. Many will, we may calculate, jump overboard and swim ashore rather than face us, and we shall be able, at any rate, to capture three or four of their craft, for, as they come out one by one, we can all close round them, and with nearly fifty knights, ninety released captives, burning for vengeance, and some fifty or sixty fishermen, for those from the fire-ships will, of course, join us, we shall make short work of them, and may even hope to entirely destroy their fleet. 
Again, a joyous shout rose from the knights. This would indeed be an exploit that all might be proud to share in, and breaking the ranks in which they had stood while Gervais addressed them, they crowded round him with exclamations of enthusiasm and devotion. Now, he said, as soon as the silence was a little restored, the knights of the Langs on board the prizes will send at once to the coaster on the left of the other two. Sir Ralph will go there now and supply each with materials for making the mantles for the Christians. He has brought thread and fishbone needles. You will see that the stuff is cut up into suitable lengths and handed over to your crews, and that each man makes up his mantle. There can be but little sewing required for these sleeveless gowns, nor need it be carefully done. The great thing is that the white crosses shall be conspicuous. As soon as you have set them to work, you will examine the state of the arms, see how many more are needed to complete the list, and then send off to Sir Ralph, who will furnish as many as are required. The fishermen have brought their own weapons. See that the slaves are all well fed today, and before evening inspect well their fetters so that you may be free from all anxiety as to an attempt by them to escape during the conflict. The rest of you will go on board these native craft and see that the combustibles are fairly distributed among them. The wood and straw soaked with pigeon oil, as also the sails and ropes, and that the decks are well coated. This is a most important duty. Get some torches made also, so that there shall be two on board each craft. These are to be lighted the last thing before we get to the point, and will be thrown down into the straw and faggots in the hold by the fishermen when they get close to the corsairs. All this can be prepared before our morning meal, and when you assemble here I hope to receive your reports that everything is in readiness. One of the other coasters has some bullocks on board. Sir Ralph will send one to each of the prizes, and one to us. They had better be killed and cut up at once, in order that the crews may have two good meals today of fresh meat. See that the galley slaves have their share. No time was lost in carrying out the orders. Ralph, as soon as the cloth, arms, and meat were distributed, went round in a boat to see that the combustibles were properly laid for firing, and everything done to ensure that the flames should spread rapidly. The sards shared in the work, and rations and wine were distributed to them. And when the knights sat down to their meal on board the galley, they were able to report that everything was in perfect readiness, and that the work of sewing the mantles was making good progress. The day passed slowly to the young knights, all of whom were burning with excitement at the thought of the coming fray. The released Christians were no less exultant at the prospect of taking vengeance for the sufferings they had so long endured, and the scene on board all four ships was most animated. After talking it over with Ralph, Gervais told off three more of the knights, to each of the prizes, so that there should be ten on board each. This reduced the strength on board the galley to seventeen, but as they would have the assistance of a strong band of sards, they considered this to be ample under the circumstances. It was arranged that the galley, with one of the prizes, should close with the first corsair that came out and that the other two prizes should attack the second. After capturing these, they were to assist each other as circumstances might dictate. Gervais strongly impressed upon the knights in command of each prize that they were not single-handed to attack a corsair unless one of their consorts was near and free to give assistance. 
we must run no risk of a reverse he said we are certain of destroying many of their vessels and of breaking up their fleet and it is far better that a few should escape than that we should run the risk of losing ten of our number to say nothing of those we have rescued from captivity in the excitement of the fight this order must be strictly borne in mind our victory must be marred by no misfortune brought on by headstrong rashness the corsairs are bound to be very strongly manned and ten knights even aided by such assistance as they may get from the christians might find themselves altogether overmatched against a crowd of desperate men as soon as it was dusk the anchors were drawn up and the fleet got under way they proceeded but slowly for the wind was light and the fishing boats moved heavily through the water there was however no occasion for speed for gervais did not wish to commence the attack until past midnight the guns had all been loaded before starting and a pile of ammunition was placed near each presently the wind nearly died out and the galley and prizes then took the coasters and fishing craft in tow it was nearly one o'clock when they got within half a mile of the inlet the tow ropes were then thrown off the fishermen got out sweeps and the galley led the way the fire-ships followed in a body and the three prizes brought up the rear the oars had all been muffled and slowly they made their way until fosco who was standing next to gervais on board the galley said that the point just ahead marked the entrance to the inlet they then stopped rowing until the fire-ships were all close up these were as had previously been arranged in two lines five fishing-boats each manned by four men and having its small boat in tow behind it formed the first line the three coasters each with six men at the oars and the three other fishing-boats formed the second the torches were now lighted ralph took his place in the centre boat of the first line gervais went on board one of the coasters and the order was given to the men to row what wind there was was favourable blowing from the northwest and therefore right into the inlet scarcely had the first boats reached the entrance when a shout was heard row men your hardest now ralph shouted the sards bent to their oars and the five boats advanced rapidly towards the corsairs as they did so a babble of shouts and cries rose from the dark mass of ships which swelled into a tumult of alarm as on ralph's orders throw your torches into the straw a flash of flame leapt up from each boat five more strokes and they were alongside the two outside ships as they crashed heavily into them the men leapt from their seats and sprang over into the small boats threw off the painters and rowed astern opening on either hand to allow the second line of fire-ships to pass these by gervaise's direction divided and three bore along either side of the corsairs and then ran in among them throwing grapnels to fasten the fire-ships alongside then as the flames sprang up from the holds the crews betook themselves to their boats and rowed out of the inlet by the time they reached the galley and prizes the eleven fire-ships were a mass of flame which was spreading to the corsairs lying packed together as these were the confusion was terrible numbers of men endeavoured to push off the fire-ships but it was too late others tried to extricate their galleys from the mass 
throwing off the hawsers and striving with hand and oar to push their vessels out of the line. As soon as the boats were alongside the galley, the guns of the four vessels opened fire with grape into the crowded ships, now lit up by the flames as clearly as at noontide, while the battle cry of the order sounded high above the din. Nothing can save the ships near this end of the line, Ralph said. But some of those behind may make their way out between the others in the rocks. I can see that some of them there are lowering their yards and sails to prevent their catching fire as they pass. The knights distributed among the guns worked them incessantly, directing their fire chiefly against the outside ships so as to hinder the crews in their endeavors to arrest the progress of the flames but they were soon able to fire impartially into the mass, as the heat of the flames drove the pirates back. Scores of men leapt overboard and made for the shore. Presently, two or three ships were seen making their way along the narrow line of water on either side of the flaming group in front. As the first advanced, the galley and one of the prizes rode a short distance to meet it. Its deck was crowded with men, among whom a discharge of cannon from both ships created terrible slaughter. A moment afterwards they closed with it, one on either side, and the knights, the released captives, and the sards sprang down onto its deck. The fight lasted but a minute. Appalled by the disaster that had befallen them, by the terrible effect of the broadsides, poured in at a few yards' distance, and by the sight of so many of the dreaded warriors of the cross, some of the corsairs threw down their arms and flung themselves on the deck or into the hold, crying for quarter. Those who resisted fell either under the swords of the knights, the vengeful axes of the late captives, or the pikes of the sards. But the great bulk, leaping from the bow or stern, swam ashore. Back to your ships, Gervais shouted, the moment resistance ceased. Leave her floating here. She will help to block the way. Six vessels alone managed to make their escape from the blazing mass of ships, and all of these were captured almost as easily as the first had been. As soon as it seemed that all the remainder were involved in the flames, boats were lowered and sent on board the prizes to take possession. Save for the wounded on the decks, they were entirely deserted by their crews, as those who had run below as soon as they found that their captors had left the vessels, dropped into the water and made their way, either by swimming or with the assistance of oars, to the shore. There remained only the slaves, chained to their benches. A few of these had been killed by broadsides, but the guns had been aimed at the poops and forecastles, where the corsairs were clustered together, and consequently the number of galley slaves who had fallen was comparatively small. In none of the galleys was the proportion of Christians anything like so large as that in the three prizes first taken, the greater portion being men of inland tribes who had been captured in warfare, or malefactors who, instead of being executed, had been sold to the corsairs. Nevertheless, in the six galleys some seventy Christians were found, and at once freed. It was terrible to think that in the galleys that had been destroyed, a large number of Christians must have perished in the flames, and Gervais expressed bitter regret 
that he had not considered that his attack by fire-ships must necessarily involve the loss of so many Christian lives. It can't be helped, Ralph said, as Gervais poured out his feelings to him. To very many of them, death must have been welcome, and if we had not attacked them as we did, and they sailed for Italy, Hundreds, if not thousands, of Christians would have been killed, and as many more carried away into captivity. So, you see, the balance is all in favor of the course we adopted. Gervais admitted this, but nevertheless his regret at the fate of so many unfortunate captives, quite overpowered for the time, his satisfaction at the complete success that had been achieved. The victory had been almost a bloodless one on the part of the assailants. A few of the knights had received wounds, two among the Christian crews had been killed, and four sards, while two score had received wounds more or less serious. As unlike the knights, they had no defensive armor. While waiting for daylight to appear, all their wounds were dressed and bandaged by the knights. In the morning, the captured galleys were towed out, and anchored a short distance away, and then Gervais rode up to the head of the inlet, followed by the other three ships. They found that eleven of the corsairs had been burnt, and to their satisfaction they discovered four uninjured galleys lying there, deserted save by the slaves. Seeing the fate of their comrades who had first issued out, the commanders had instead of trying to escape, rode quietly to the head of the inlet, the movement being covered by the flame and smoke, and had there landed, having laden themselves with stores for their support on shore. This was a great satisfaction to the knights, for not only did it swell the list of prizes, but it reduced by over thirty the number of Christian slaves who had perished in the flames. Taking the galley in tow, they rowed out of the inlet, whose banks were strewn with half-charred timbers, oars, and relics of the fight. As soon as they had anchored by the side of their first prizes, a council was held on board the Santa Barbara. It was clearly impossible to take thirteen prizes to Rhodes, for there would be but three or four knights to each, and were they to fall in with but one Moorish pirate, they might suffer great disaster, while should they meet with a storm, they would fare badly indeed, as they could not depend upon the rescued Christians for the management of the sails and oars in heavy weather. At the same time, all were most anxious that the prizes should be carried to Rhodes. Never, save as the result of some great battle, had such a fleet of captured galleys been brought in, and the knights were prepared to endure all dangers rather than part with one of them. Finally, after much discussion, it was determined that they should make for Genoa. From thence the rescued captives would be able to find their way to their homes. The great majority were Italians and Spaniards. The former could proceed by land or sea to their respective homes, while the Spaniards would have no long time to wait before a vessel of their own nationality entered the port, even if one were not lying there when they arrived. Moreover, in any case it would be necessary to dispatch a vessel to Genoa, in order that it might be known that the danger was averted, and that there was no longer any necessity for getting the galleys ready for sea. The chief ostensible reason, however, for going to Genoa was that there would be no difficulty in engaging as many sailors as might be necessary 
to take the prizes to Rhodes. Underlying all the arguments was another reason, which Ralph laughingly stated. It is all very well to bring forward one argument after another, but not one of you has the courage to say what I am sure all of you have at the bottom of your hearts. You know very well that you want to go to Genoa to enjoy a triumph. The Rhodians are all very well, but there are very many more fair faces at Genoa. Fie, Sir Knights! Such a spirit is little in accordance with the vows of the order. Are we not bound to humility? And here you are all longing for the plaudits of the nobles and ladies of Genoa. Some of the young knights laughed, others colored hotly. They need not be ashamed of the feeling, Caretto said. Is it not the ardent desire of all true knights to do gallant deeds? And do they not value above all things the guerdon of applause from the fair eyes of ladies? Your comrades have performed the gallant deeds and well deserve the reward. Now, Sir Gervais, if not for this reason, at any rate for the others that have been brought forward, I suppose we are all agreed that we sail for Genoa. For our part, we are heartily glad that such is your decision. We and the young knights of our Lang have many friends there, and in their name I am sure I can promise you a reception as hearty and sincere as that which we shall ourselves receive. It was settled that the rescued captives should be divided equally among the thirteen prizes, and that three knights should go in each. The Moorish captives were also divided equally among them, to aid with the sails, and to row a few oars, in case of a dead calm setting in. The commands were distributed according to seniority, the three rescued Italian knights remaining on board the Santa Barbara with Gervais. The Sards were anxious to return to their villages, in order to carry the news that several hundreds of Moorish pirates had landed. We shall have great trouble with them, one of the young fishermen who spoke a little Italian said to Gervais. There are always a great number of swine and herds of goats up among the forests on the hills. We must send up and drive in as many of these as possible, and of course we shall send messengers to Tempe, but it will need a very large force to combat these pirates who will be able to come down and plunder and destroy, and then retire to the hills, whence it will be hard to dislodge them. I am sorry indeed that such trouble should have been caused to you, Gervais replied, but I am afraid that I can give you no assistance. We shall hunt them down in time, the Sard said confidently. There are many villages scattered about Timbe, and what with us fishermen and the woodmen and charcoal burners, we shall soon get a strong body together. Besides, we know the mountains, and they do not. I should say that you had best avoid a pitched battle with them, but keep on harassing them by night and day, cutting off all who separate themselves from the main body, until at last they are completely worn out. We shall deal with them, Sir Knight. We are all hunters, for there are wild boars and stags in the forest, and wolves too, and wild sheep on the higher mountains. Every man among us can use his bow skillfully, and wield pike and hatchet. The hunt will not be unprofitable either, for we can get a good price for all we take alive to work in the mines. 
An hour later, one of the galleys started with the Sars for their villages in the Bay of Tempe. After landing them, she was to rejoin the rest of the fleet at their former anchorage at Madalena. By nightfall, all were gathered there, and the next morning they set out for Genoa. The wind was light, but in their anxiety to return home as soon as possible, the released captives all volunteered to take their former places on the benches, and the vessels were kept going at a fair rate of speed. Two days rowing took them to Bastia, where their approach created unbounded excitement until the banner of the order was seen floating from the stern of the Santa Barbara, while smaller flags that had been hastily manufactured flew from the mastheads of the thirteen prizes. Even then the inhabitants feared to put out, believing that the flags were but a ruse, and numbers of them fled at once with their families and valuables to the mountains. It was not until a boat was lowered, and Ralph, accompanied by three or four other knights, rode ashore, that the panic was allayed. As soon as it was understood that the galley of the knights had not only captured the thirteen corsairs, but had destroyed eleven others, and had thus annihilated a fleet that was intended to prey upon the commerce of Italy and ravage the western coast, the alarm was succeeded by the wildest enthusiasm. By the time Ralph had obtained the fresh meat and stores he came ashore to purchase, the greater part of the population was gathered on the shore, and a flotilla of boats put out with him, filled with picturesquely dressed men and women. Some carried flags, others green bows, while the ladies had bouquets and baskets of fruit. The galley was the first attraction, and, mounting her sides, the ladies presented their offerings of fruit, while the men cheered and waved their hats. Many musicians came out in the boats, and these played on bagpipes and three-reeded flutes a succession of airs peculiar to the island. Gervais received his visitors on the poop. These were at first altogether incredulous when told that it was the lad before them who had commanded the galley, had performed such a remarkable feat, and had freed them from a terrible danger. The youth of the knights of the order no less surprised them, and had not Gervais assured them that it was altogether contrary to the rules of the order for a knight to allow himself to be embraced, many of the ladies would have taken this form of showing their enthusiasm and gratitude. The next morning the fleet started for Genoa. The wind was much stronger than it had been on the previous day, and it was therefore unnecessary for the oars to be put out, except indeed on board the galley. There, at nightfall, the Christians relieved the slaves for some hours at their benches, and the next morning the circle of hills round Genoa, with the city nestling at their feet on the water's edge, and climbing for some distance up their slopes, was in view. Corretto at once suggested that it would be well to signal to the fleet to lie to. If we do not do so, he said, they will assuredly think that it is the Corsair fleet advancing to attack and burn the vessels in port and you may be saluted as you approach by a shower of cannonballs. If you will permit me, Sir Gervais, I will go forward in one of the prizes and explain matters, and will return here in a short time. Thank you, Sir Fabricius. As such mischance as you mentioned might indeed very well occur, we will lower sail and lie here until you return. While Coretto was away, the knights and crew breakfasted, and the former put on their armor and gayest attire, in readiness for the landing. Gervais, although with much inward vexation, considered it necessary to do the same. 
I do wish, he said to Ralph, who was smiling at his rueful face, that you could for today take my place and let me pass as lieutenant. I should not mind at all, Gervaise, but you must put up with the disagreeables as well as the advantages of being commander, and must submit to be honored and feted here, as well as getting no end of credit at Rhodes. You will have the satisfaction of well-deserving it, for I am sure the plan of attacking them with fire-ships would never have occurred to anyone else, and if it had not been for that, we should have had the mortification of seeing them sail off without being able to move a finger to interfere with them. If one were fighting for fame and honor, all that would be true enough, but members of an order whose sole object is to defend Christendom from the Muslims should strive only to do their duty and care nothing for such things as honor and glory. Human nature is human nature, and I don't see any reason why one should despise honor and glory when they come to one in the course of duty. I fancy you will think so too, Gervaise, in course of time. I am quite sure that among the fifty knights there is not one who does not feel well content that he has not only done his duty to the order, but has gained a share in the credit and honor that will certainly be given to all who have taken a part in so crushing a defeat of the Corsairs. As for myself, I do not for a moment pretend that I am not sensible of the fact that, as second-in-command of the galley, my chances of obtaining promotion in the order are very greatly improved. It was nearly two hours before Coretto returned. It is well indeed that I went in, he said to Gervaise, for I found the city in an uproar. The alarm bells of the churches were calling all citizens to arms, and troops were being hurried down to the forts and batteries. Rumor had, of course, exaggerated the strength of the fleet, and half the population believed that the safety of the city itself was menaced by the approach of a mighty squadron. As soon as my news was bruited abroad, and they learned that the fleet consisted solely of prizes captured from the moors by a galley of the order, alarm quickly changed into delight. The sharp, angry clang of the bells was succeeded by peals of gladness, and the joy of the citizens at being relieved from the cloud of anxiety that had hung over the city since my last visit was unbounded. I went at once to the council chamber, where I found many of the leading citizens already assembled, having been summoned in hot haste as soon as our approach was made out. At first they were almost incredulous when I told them that every ship of the pirate fleet had been either destroyed or captured, and that the fleet in the offing consisted entirely of your galley and the thirteen corsairs she had captured. As soon as they really grasped the fact, they sent off messengers to the churches to order the joy bells to be rung, and to the dockyard to arrest all work upon the galleys. Then I had to give them a short account of the surprise and destruction of the Corsair fleet, and finally they begged me to ask you to delay your entry to the port for a couple of hours, 
in order that they might have time to prepare a suitable reception for you. I suppose there is no help for it, Gervais said. Is there anything else that we ought to do? I should decorate the galley with all the flags on board, should set everyone to work to make great flags with the cross of the order to hoist to the masthead of the prizes, instead of the little things that are now flying and under them we will hoist the flags of the corsairs, among which are those of Tripoli, Tunis, and Algiers. I do not know that there is aught else we can do. End of chapter 15 Read by Peter Strong in Cartagena, Colombia On January 29th, 2019